to the Air It Out podcast presented by Inside the Hashes. I am your host, Juan Guarín. I am joined by two of our most distinguished writers, Mr. Avery Collins, Mr. Christopher Thomas, and our CEO of Inside the Hashes, Mr. Jerome Jones. Everyone say hi. What's up, guys? Before we jump into today's topics today, let's go into the rundown. The rundown. Just to give a little summary about what the rundown is, there are so many NFL stories uh, playing the, the sports media right now that we can't cover it all in just one podcast. So I'm just going to give a little bit of a rundown on the top five stories that we have going around in the NFL today. First one we're going to start off with is yesterday, Antonio Brown sent out a tweet updating his situation with the Steelers organization. He said, quote, had a great meeting with Mr. Rooney today. We discussed a lot of things and we cleared the air on several issues. We both agreed that it is time to move on, but I'll always have the appreciation and gratitude towards the Rooney family and Steelers organization. Moving on to another Steelers wideout, or former Steelers wideout for that matter, Broncos wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders will likely have his option picked up within the next month. Earlier this week, Sanders tweeted out that he wasn't willing to restructure his contract in a way that would make him take a pay cut. However, it seems like the Broncos never approached Sanders about said pay cut in the first place. So a lot of drama for a whole lot of nothing. Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell is entering the market as a free agent. The Steelers have decided not to franchise tag the all-pro running back, seemingly more focused on trading Brown instead. This leaves Bell as the crown jewel of the 2019 free agency market, and we here at Inside the Hashes will be monitoring that closely. All that talk about giant safety Landon Collins negotiating an extension with Big Blue just got thrown out the window as ESPN's Josina Anderson reported that, quote, Collins cleaned out his locker today at the team facility and said goodbye to his teammates, coaches, and trainers. It doesn't seem like Collins expects to be a giant for much longer, per sources. Later reports came out saying that Collins only took his personal stuff from the, from the locker and that the franchise tag is still a likely scenario. Should Collins be offered the franchise tag, he would have a guaranteed salary of $11.287 million in 2019. And some breaking news to round out the rundown. FS1's Colin Coward has reported that Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson wants out of Seattle, with New York being his ideal landing spot. But Matt Lombardi wrote on the piece saying that the move came from Wilson's wife, Ciara, wanting to move to the Big Apple for, quote, career reasons. And with Wilson having only one year left on his $31 million contract, the possibility seems just as real. He said to make $17 million in 2019. And that was the rundown. Let us know what you guys think about the rundown as we go forward with it in the coming weeks. In the meantime, we'll be transitioning into into our topics for today. The first one being the top five most interesting free agents going into the 2019 offseason. We have the uh, Cowboys defensive end, Demarcus Lawrence, Seahawks safety, Earl Thomas, Steelers running back, Le'Veon Bell, Eagles quarterback, Nick Foles, and Texans linebacker, Xavier Clowney. Uh, now, guys, uh, Chris and Avery, I want you guys. I want you guys' opinion on where these guys are likely to go, and where you think their best fit is. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you. I think both Clowney and Demarcus Lawrence are probably going to be staying via franchise tag. I think Nick Foles' best bet, best option at this point, is to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think with the team that they already have now. With a healthy Leonard Fournette, 
with the young wide receiver core that they have with DJ Shark, DD Westbrook, Keelan Cole, that that will be an ideal fit for to get a quarterback in the spread formation to be able to get them involved. And plus, they have a Super Bowl caliber defense still there with Calais Campbell, Telvin Smith, Jalen Ramsey, Barry Church, AJ Bouye. It's the best option for both parties involved. It'll give Nick Foles still a reason to play for. It'll give Jacksonville back into potential playoff and title contention. Earl Thomas, I can actually see him in Green Bay. The confusing trade and the trade deadline with them trading away Hawk and Clinton Dix, even though it was a lost season, there's still a massive hole in that secondary with, without a prominent safety there. They still have a lot of young um, pieces there with Jerry Alexander, the rookie from Louisville, and Kevin King. Louisville was also going into his second year. They need some. They need some leadership on defense. Clay Clay, Clay Matthews is getting older. He's not no spring chicken anymore. Plus, injuries are getting to him. I think Earl Thomas shoring up that back end would definitely help Green Bay get back into winning the NFC North. And finally, Le'Veon Bell. I can definitely see him in Houston. Houston will definitely have around $78 million in cap. That's before if they decide to tag uh, Jadavion Clowney. They need a running back. They need somebody to alleviate the pressure off of Deshaun Watson. And and I think that'll just be the best fit. I think it will. both party parties will benefit. Le'Veon Bell will definitely go to a team that is prominent to make a Super Bowl run. Le'Veon Bell will get the carries that he needs, and it'll just show that if you get Le'Veon Bell, then all they need to do on the draft is just focus on retooling that offensive line. All right, all right, good takes right there. Uh, what about you, Avery? Um, first of all, excellent point by Chris. Um, definitely, definitely, um, in, in agreement with a couple of things. So I definitely agree that Demarcus Lawrence and Jadavian Clowney um, end up being franchise tag. I think that with both of them kind of, I don't want to say inconsistent, but kind of just now coming into um, their own. I think, you know, the, the GMs um, might look at that and say, you know, we want to make sure that these guys aren't one-offs. We want to make sure that they really are the real deal. Let's, you know, throw them on the tag. It makes sense financially. I think that both of them actually signed the tag. I think they both would understand. I think they both understand uh, where their careers have gone thus far. I think they also understand that both teams are actually in prime position to make um, a Super Bowl run uh, in their respective divisions due to their defenses, the, the fact that they, the, uh, the, the Cowboys can definitely run the ball so they can they can chill some clock. And then to, to Chris's point, which leads me to the next guy, Le'Veon Bell, um, if they could you know, sign a guy like Le'Veon Bell and solidify the running game, I think that that is huge. Um, I think another team that we we got to, you know, keep on the lookout for Le'Veon Bell, I'm not sure it makes the most sense, but I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, I think that they're, they're a team like, I mean, they may be a dark horse team to go out and, and, and get him. Uh, and then the, the third team uh, for, for Le'Veon, uh, the team Chris brought up as far as the Packers, um, I think that they also feel a hole when it comes to the running game. I think you want to take pressure off of Aaron Rodgers at this point. He's getting older, and he's getting injured. He's not an Ironman guy in the league right now simply because he hasn't had the protection, as well as his playing style. Um, I think that 
in order to protect a guy like that, you give him some insurance with a back who's proven himself in the league, and then I, I, I can see them building the defense, the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, in the draft. So um, that's that's how it goes for those three. I think Earl Thomas, great point again by Chris as far as the Green Bay Packers, because I, I was I was thinking the same thing as far as um, once they lost Ha-Ha Clinton Dick. I thought that was a pretty big hole. I thought that was one thing that um, it, it kind of it kind of surprised me. It shocked me to see that happen, actually. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised at that move. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Dallas gives him up simply because he wants to go there. Um, he's notorious and not shy about saying, um, you know, he wanted to go there. There was a tweet from him, you know, to Jerry Jones directly saying, you know, come get me in free agency. So, he wants to be there, um, and like I said, I think that um, it's a situation where um, he wants to go somewhere where he's going to get paid, but also have a chance to win. Um, and I think that, you know, like I said, um, with the way the defense played, that defense played down the stretch, um, I think that um, it's, a, it's a strong possibility that um, he could end up there. Um, and as far as it goes, I'm in agreement um, that um, – you know, Jacksonville is a is a great fit for him. I think that he could he could go there and you know do very well simply because of all of the points that Chris made as far as the running game, the defense, um, different things like that. But also, I think another team, um, a dark horse team, don't throw them out. But I think that uh, a team like the Giants, you know, a team like the Giants, keep them in. You know, obviously the the Eagles won't want to keep them in the division, but. You know, it's a situation where um, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened, just simply because you know the Eagles might think, oh well, we know we're, what we know what Nick Foles' is tendency, so we we don't fear him. I, I and I think it would be a great landing spot for him because you you come in with a young running back. I think the defense, if uh, if they can keep Landon Collins, by all reports, it doesn't seem that way. But if they can keep him, I think it stabilizes the defense a little bit more again. And so I wouldn't be surprised at that. And I think, you know, like I said, simply because Nick Foles kind of, he loves being in Philly, that he never wanted to leave in the first place. So it kind of appeases him to kind of still stay stay close. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if that was a, a move that was, was made. Um, so, yeah, those are my teams. Those are my destinations for those guys. All right, Jerome, you want to say something? Yeah, real quick. I have a question for both Chris and um, Avery because they paid Demarcus Lawrence in the franchise tag um, discussion. So I wanted to know if this kind of changed their, their mindset. This will be the second time that Demarcus Lawrence is being uh, franchise tagged, which means that the pay rate will be a lot more higher. I believe it's um, twice the amount of pay. And um, they have to pay um, Dak Prescott and um, Zeke Elliott um, either – this season or the end of the season. So do that kind of change your mindset on having him as a, one of the franchise guys or um, no? No, I don't think it changes my mind at all. DeMarcus Lawrence is one of the more better pass rushers in all of football. And it's funny you mentioned this is the second year about his franchise tag. And it kind of dawned on me that because the whole Le'Veon Bell situation about him not wanting to get tagged again, it really just – remembered me about a point that I want to make about the franchise tag that for the new CBA coming up is that you should own like franchises in my honest opinion, should be allowed to only franchise tag players just one time. If you can't have enough ample funding down the line to 
pay a player, then you should only franchise tag them once. And if you can't do that, then you just have to let them test the market. But that being said, you can't lose a premier pass rusher like a like a Demarcus Lawrence, especially after the season that you had. Everybody on that defense is under thirty years old, and it's all homegrown. Talk about him, Tyrone Crawford, uh, Randy Gregory. He's on the field. Lane Vanderesh, uh, Jalen Smith. I could just name everybody. Like I'm Sean McVay, and name all of the starters <laughs> on the Bears defense. But they're they're primed to win now, and the NFC is is. They were in the divisional round. They were part of those final four teams. So keeping as many young, homegrown talent as you could possibly can to continue your Super Bowl window, I think, is priority for Jerry Jones. All right. Avery? I agree. I think that um, it still makes sense to franchise tag them um, simply because, like I said, the points I made earlier as far as, you know, kind of a breakout season for them. I mean, I'm not saying that the season prior uh, wasn't a good one, but it wasn't as good as the one he had last season. So I think that that plays a part into it. In addition, you brought up Dak being needing to be signed and, um, you know, Zeke needing to be signed. I think, obviously, we, I'm pretty sure we're all in agreement that Zeke should get uh, the money prior to, to Dak. But at the same time, I think it's a situation where, and, and this is no offense to Dak because I'm a fan, but I think that the Cowboys – if they don't think this already, they should think we can win with another quarterback with the pieces that we have around on the team in general. Like the defense, like I said, uh, was playing at a top five level toward the end of the season last year. Um, you know that the offensive line is good as, as long as everyone's healthy. Ezekiel Elliott, you know what you're getting in that guy. So you place in a quarterback who is, um, you know, equal talent or, or better um, as far as in place of Dakota Prescott, I think that you're you're still you're still set. So 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 to me, I would still yeah, I would still uh, you know uh, put the franchise tag on on Demarcus Lawrence. I like how you say his full name, Dakota. I was just about to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of these players moving around, it only makes sense that they go to situations where they are best fit with a head coach. And with that being said, predictions. For the eight new head coaches in the NFL this season. The list goes as follows. Freddie Kitchens with the Cleveland Browns. Adam Gase with the New York Jets. Cliff Kingsbury for the Cardinals. Zach Taylor for the Bengals. Vic Fangio for the Broncos. Matt LaFleur for the Packers. Brian Flores with the Dolphins. And Bruce Arians with the Buccaneers. Now, each one of these coaches has some good pieces to work with in their organization, but also a couple of flaws that they, that they need to address when free agency and the draft kicks in. So, gentlemen, let me ask you. Pick two of these coaches. Pick one that you feel is going to have the best season and which one is going to have the worst season. Chris, we'll start with you. I think the best, the one that's going to have the best season is Matt LaFleur from Green Bay. When you think of Matt LaFleur and the experience that he has under the Sean McVay coaching tree, when you look at what he was able to do for Tennessee, they were one game out of the playoffs with their backup quarterback, Lane Gabbard, in. When you look at the running game move that was able to take off with Derrick Henry finding his way at the tail end of the year with Deion Lewis and even with all the injuries on the offensive line, you have to think a lot of more pressure is going to be alleviated from Aaron Rodgers. It's going to go more to Aaron Jones. It's going to go to Jamal Williams or any other potential running backs that they're going to be brought in. So I think he's going to have the more successful season. It's Green Bay in terms of pieces, in terms of the quarterbacks out of all the eight teams. 
I think Matt LaFleur has it a lot easier to work with because of what Aaron Rodgers is able to do with as minimal as amount of help in terms of coaching and talent around him. I think the one that's going to have the worst the worst outing is probably going to be Cliff Kingsbury from the Cardinals. Just absolutely no help at all on the offensive line. Um, Josh Rosen got pretty banged up and was a turnover machine. I just don't have a lot of faith in Arizona, especially after one year later you decided to fire the coach that you decided to bring in. Doesn't it concern you that the uh, Green Bay Packers head coach, that, that, that LaFleur is only three years older than the franchise quarterback Aaron Rodgers? Wouldn't you think that would cause like some sort of riff in terms of ego and, and coaching? Yeah, you definitely will, especially after the reports about how difficult it is for Aaron Rodgers to to work with. That being said, you have to think that those comments and, and the media that's was stirring around about how Aaron Rodgers is difficult to work with, about him being overrated, the fact that he lost that he lost the division to the Chicago Bears, and for back to back seasons he's not only been hurt but he lost out on the division to his NFC North rivals. So I think Aaron Rodgers is going to come back be a little more willing to learn and try to go back on a revenge tour to take back the NFC North. Because of all that contract money that he's been given, that window of opportunity is going to be closing at fast. All right. And Avery, who are your two picks? Who's going best and who's going worst? Um, so um, I'll go worst at first. Um, I, I agree with Chris. I think it is going to be Cliff Kingsbury. I, I was kind of torn between him and Adam Gates, but I think that um, the Jets are more of a complete team on defense, um, on the defensive side of the ball than – uh, than the Cardinals are, so I think that they they kind of hold it together a little bit better, and I think I think Sam Darnold, I think their the quarterback situation is just a little bit better as well. I think Kingsbury is going to you know fall just shot of you know Adam Gase, and I think he he ends up with the worst season. Um, but as far as the best coach, the best new head coach season, I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be Vic Fangio. I think that Joe Flacco signing was actually pretty underrated. I think, you know, a lot of people had questions and it raised a lot of eyebrows. But, um, and I'm not, the crazy part is I'm not a huge fan of Joe Flacco. I actually, I'm probably on record stating that I, uh, I don't think he's, you know, good. Um, but at the same time, he is a veteran quarterback, steady quarterback. And if he's what I think he's going to be, which is just a bridge quarterback, I think he can definitely be that. Um, I think that they will rely on the running game and, we already saw what um, what Vic Angel got out of Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd last year. So can we imagine what he's going to get from Von Miller and you know Bradley Chubb? I, I think it's going to be a pretty pretty interesting season. They were one of the teams that beat the Chargers um, last year in the division, and we and we see how good the Chargers were. So for them to still compete within the division, I think that bodes well for them. You know, so I think that it's going to be a situation uh, where where they actually do pretty pretty well next season, uh, and, and it's honestly it's more contingent upon you know Philip Lindsay. I, I feel like if he continues to play the way he played last season, then yeah, I, I, I definitely can see um, I can see Vic Fangio having the, the better season of all these uh, new head coaches. Yeah. Very surprised that you pick a deep, a defensive minded head coach to have the best season. Uh, considering that defensive head coaches are kind of a rarity nowadays. What elicits uh, more confidence in Vic Fangio than you wouldn't say Zach Taylor or uh, Bruce Arians, if I may ask? 
Um, for, first of all, um, I think it's a situation of personnel, right? I think it's a personnel fit. So I think that you look at, like I said, what McVangio did with um, the likes of Lil Mac. He had, um, you know, he had outstanding linebackers when he had, you know, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman. You you got to see what it is his his um, his specialty is, and he's he's going right into what his specialty is when you have two premier um, linebackers in the league, and, uh, potentially uh, one for sure, but potentially two. So I think that it's a situation where the personnel fitting is is phenomenal too. Um, I, I just think that his mindset toward the game, toward the details of the game, is just a little bit different, right? Um, I think that he is a fundamentals guy, and I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, you look at the the, the most recent Super Bowl with the with the with the Patriots and and the Rams, and it was a pretty fundamentally sound game. Um, especially on the defensive side of the ball from the Patriots, right? There was so much technique um, by the defensive backs that was overlooked by the casual fans uh, because they want, you know, more fireworks or more whatever, more highlights. But there were so many technically sound plays and fundamentally sound plays um, actually on both sides of the ball as far as defense that it, it showed why they were in the Super Bowl in the first place. So I think that that kind of coach is right for the league. Number one, two, I think he's right for for, for, for Denver. Um, and over, you know, somebody like Bruce Arians, I think he's more offensive-minded than we really understand. Like, number one, number two, the division, right? Like, I, I feel like a, a healthy Falcons roster, we already know what the Saints are. Like, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't – I'm still not ready to, to say the Bucks are going to take any type of major stride in that division just yet. Is it possible? I mean – Maybe because they, uh, they have a uh, young core on their defense. Um, their linebackers fly to the ball, so it's a possibility, but I just I don't see it. And, and, and for Mr. Taylor, like, again, it's just it's more of a personnel thing where I feel Vic fits better in Denver. I like both points that you guys brought to the table. Just to throw in my two cents into the topic, I believe the best coach is going to be uh, the best coach with the best record this year is going to be Freddie Kitchens for the Browns simply because of how he was able to connect with the franchise quarterback Baker Mayfield and a pretty talented offensive personnel already and with the hope that the rise of the Cleveland Browns will attract more defensive free agents to help build on that on that structure. With the worst, I'm going to agree with both Avery and Chris. I know Avery chose the, chose the Jets too, but being a Jets fan myself, I kind of forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go with Cliff Kingsbury mainly because with a, a losing record as a head coach at Texas Tech, and then only being the um, the offensive coordinator for the USC Trojans for only six months, only to take a head coaching position with the Cardinals, tells me that uh, that Kingsbury isn't very reliable, especially because of his reported uh, quote unquote infatuation with Oklahoma Sooner quarterback Kyler Murray. But that's a whole different can of worms right there that we can open up with, and yeah. That's, those are going to be my picks. Um, and then moving into the final topic of today, we're going a little more serious in terms of tone and subject matter. Uh, reported last week that the NFL reached a settlement agreement with former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick and Carolina Panthers safety Eric Reed. Now, the details of the settlement uh, are unknown as both players signed and uh, non-disclosure agreements as part of the deal. The lawsuit in the first place was in the result of a collusion case that Kaepernick had 
against the NFL, claiming that they were blackballing him from ever playing in the league ever again. So uh, to start off, uh, there, there are two camps in terms of where this conversation has gone. Some say that this is a win for Kaepernick, that he brought the NFL to its knees and forced them to take a settlement agreement to avoid any further embarrassment and further um, money-losing opportunities. While others are saying that Kaepernick sold out, that the fact that he won't tell the public what he won shows that uh, he might have just wasted his time with this in the first place. So, Avery, I want to start off with you. Did Kaepernick sell out or did he win? What do you think? I think he won. I mean, so to me, I think he won uh, simply because of the implications, right? So if we look at the NFL and their history when it comes to any type of case that they're in, um, whether it be the case, you know, with, with, with Tom Brady or, or, or any other case that they have been a part of, they don't let it sit if they know they can win or if they have a, 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 a very strong feeling that they can win or, or uh, find a way to, you know, slither out a, a win or some way through it while still saving faith, they're going to do so, right? Um, so for them to settle, um, I think it, it implies that they knew. It implies that they know, yeah, some, some went down. Um, they know that, yeah, they were about to get a really, really, really bad PR slap in the face. They knew that. Um, you know, just looking at the ratings over the last uh, two seasons, they haven't been as, you know, productive or uh, as, uh, you know, previous seasons. And especially um, as the trajectory was, uh, you know, you, you would think the trajectory would go up every year, and it, and it, and it hasn't. So I think that um, it was sore eye for them. I think that they knew that if it continued and any details of the, the, the case in and of itself, in and of itself would have gotten leaked. I think that would have been, like I said, a PR nightmare for them. I don't think they would have wanted to deal with that. Additionally, with you think about the emergence of the AAF and then next, next year the XFL, um, I think they, they understand that people are at a point where they're saying, we want football, and especially with the ratings from the AAF, they're saying, we want football no matter what. We will find football. We will watch football. It doesn't have to be the NFL. The NFL is just a marquee thing. It's the one that's being pushed. It's yada, yada, yada. But we will find football wherever. True football fans will watch high school football, college football, uh, you know, Friday night flights, everything. Like, that. that's just how true football fans are. So they will find a way to get their football fixed. So, like I said, I don't think they wanted to compete with that, especially with uh, rumors that Colin Kaepernick was considering playing in the AAF as well. Could you imagine how much competition would have been had? I mean, as far as ratings and different things like that, I mean, it would have been it would have been a lot. And I think that the NFL decided, you know, we don't want to go through that. We'd rather admit that we're guilty without saying it, right? And so, at the same time, I really wish Colin would have um, – pushed it only because I would love to have heard them admit it. I would have loved them to have to admit it. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm under, I understand where, where, where he's coming from as well. You know, because like I said, I think his camp and himself understand that, you know, once, once it gets out that we settled, everybody's going to know in the back of their mind, wow, they must have had something very heavy up the sleeve. Because the NFL, one of the most powerful entities in the world, 
two kettles. Um, you know, outside 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 of uh, this case going, you know, public and all the details getting leaked. So, um, you know, kudos to him. And as well, I, I don't think it's a situation where he's going to stop. I think he's going to continue in his efforts. I think he's going to continue to do what he's been doing since he's been out of the NFL. Um, so more power to him. All right. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Just to make this clear for everybody, he was suing because they were colluding to keep him out of the NFL. It had nothing to do with his protest. But I think this is a this. You have to think it's nothing but a big win. I agree with Avery. It's a big win for Colin Kaepernick and a huge loss for the NFL. You got to think of the multiple losses that the NFL has had and gone to bat for. Um, the concussion suits um, last year, where the of uh, some of the committee for the Hall of Fame was suing for. Uh, health insurance for all people in the Hall of Fame, which costs them annually around $4 million a year. And they went to bat for that. But yet, for some strange reason, the NFL did, you people want to continue that the NFL did nothing wrong, had everything to do with Kyle Kaepernick's lack of talent or ability is the reason why he can't be on an NFL team. But yet, the collusion case never went to, never, never saw that. They decided to agree with a settlement for what's reported between fifty to eighty million dollars, so that way no one, one no one ever talks about it until it never sees the light of day ever again. So to me, that's more of an admission of guilt. Uh, Kaepernick didn't sell out because his message of about the reason why he was protesting is still strong to this day. He's donated more than over a million dollars of his own money to raise awareness on these ongoing issues with police brutality and especially in the African-American community. And now, if you got to think what all this money is going to do with the settlement, you got to think that he's still going to be making strides to making and still going to put his money where his mouth is. You have to think about the New York Rights Camp that he's opened up a few years ago teaching kids in the San Francisco community when he was still playing with the 49ers, having kids um, understand their rights and et cetera. So... The NFL just doesn't drop a big, uh, it's still a drop in the bucket for them because they're a billion-dollar organization, but dropping that amount of money uh, reportedly to drop the case between him and Eric Reed is a big win. All right. Uh, one, one, one major uh, point that a lot of uh, critics of the settlement have brought up um, was that a lot of these a lot the lawsuits that uh, – that the NFL has fought against, like Tom Brady's deflate gate or the suspension of Ezekiel Elliott. You've always seen the NFL pursue these cases to the very end because they are the NFL and because they always have the power to do so. But, you know, in this case, it was very different. They went for a settlement. And like Chris and Avery pointed out, that this is a major a major thing because you don't really see an entity like the NFL settle that much because of how big it is. So let me ask you guys, because of how, uh, because of, you know, this being an admission of guilt by the NFL in terms of the collusion case, do you think this sets a precedent for lawsuits in the future towards the NFL, not just by players, but by former players, the NFLPA, and even fans? Uh, Chris, uh, no, 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 uh, Avery, I want to start it off with you. Um, I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think it is, because this is a, I mean, I, I think it's a situation where it's always a case-by-case case thing, right? So, um, you know, I think it's a situation where, um, you know, Colin Kaepernick essentially is the first of his kind in the NFL to do what he, to do what he did 
and to get blackballed the way he did, right? So I think it's a, I think it's a situation where, um, or it, it, and, and if he's not, he's the first to have it nationally, tele, you know, televised. And it could be just a situation because we are in the social media era that everything just kind of just, you know, once something gets out there, it just hits the wind and it, it just goes. So it could be that, but at the same time, um, and it's like, and I want to make a point as far as like what Chris was saying, like the prime example of that it was about it. Uh, the collusion and not about the protest because the NFL owners thought they were going to shut everything up because they said, all right, well, if that's the case, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll agree to pledge $90 million um, for social issues. And it didn't. Colin said, I'm, okay, cool, that's awesome, but you're also still blackballing me from the NFL. You're also still stopping me from doing what, you know, I trained my entire life to do, so um, let's, let's handle this issue. So, that, that's uh, again to Chris's point. That's a prime. That's another prime point that this is about the collusion, not about the protest. Um, but I think, like I said, it's a, a case by case scenario. I think that um, you know, it, 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 if any precedent is set, it's it's one 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 thing. It's this: don't fear the NFL. I think that's the only precedent that is set. Like, if you want to stand for something, I'm not saying that, because my thing is this, you're not going to win every every time, right? You're just not. We know how powerful that the NFL organization is. We know this, you know, um, so you're not going to win everything. We know how dollars work. We know how money works in, 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 this, in this country. So the more you're willing to shell out, the more, you know, you're able to get so and get away with. So, um like I said, I wouldn't advise to, you know, constantly badger against NFL. What I am saying is stick to your guns and don't be afraid. Additionally, like I said before, the fact that, you know, the, a, uh, the AAF and the XFL are, you know, emerging, um, the possibility that, you know, we, were, we might be seeing a change in the size. Um, You know, if it continues that, like, let's say this is the precedent that it's setting. Let's say more lawsuits come out, and let's say more settlements happen, and let's say more more things start coming to the light. Um, you know, who's to say people won't gravitate to the AF and the XFL just because, you know, like one of the things that um, some people were saying in the beginning was, with, with, with the whole protest was, you know, save your political views for your own time. I just want to be entertained. So if people feel like they're just going to, they'll be able to get just that from the AF and, uh, the XFL and not have to deal with the, the social issues or whatever, then, you know, it, it, there's so many different possibilities. But, um, like I said, I, me personally, I don't feel like this is a, um, a, a, a tide changer per se or a precedent per, a setter per se, only because, like I said, the NFL is still very strong. People are still going to watch. People are still, like, it, it, it's, it's not going to change. So, uh, you know, that's just my thing. All right, Chris, your thoughts? It's as long as the NFL has gotten the sponsors that they do, it's not really going to be a tie changer. The NFL is still a multi-billion dollar juggernaut. Um, the AF is still Trump is still having issues in terms of trying to pay players and still trying to keep it on air. And I think there might be some competition with the XFL solely because Vince McMahon is backing it with his own money and he also has a multi-billion dollar juggernaut also WWE money in stock. But this, this really doesn't change anything. Everybody already knows the inconsistencies when it comes to the NFL. 
and lawsuits or when it comes to issues such as like drunk driving or domestic violence, their inconsistent stance on that, um, how they handled the national anthem protest, their admission of guilt with this Colin Kaepernick, um, Eric Reed collusion. Everybody already sees that. So it's nothing new that everybody already didn't know about the NFL, but it's still not going to stop them. As long as they got the, the multiple sponsorships, uh, such as like the Army, as Army and the National Guard paying them to play the national anthem before the games, uh, the million dollars that Bud Light is paying them, and et cetera, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's still, it's, it's still not going to go anywhere. All right. Well, that was a, it was a pretty hard subject to get through, but I'm glad that we were able to get through and talk about it. Thank you, Chris, Avery, and Jerome uh, for today's podcast. Uh, as an, as a message to everyone listening here, we just as we talk about these topics, we like to know what you guys think about what we've talked about. We like to have your voices heard. So if you want to let us know uh, what you think about what we just talked about today, even from the stories that we covered on the rundown, you can hit us up on our Facebook group, which is Inside the Hashes, on Instagram, which is at Inside the Hashes, and our Twitter, which is at Inside Hashes. And for more stories that we cover about football, all about football, you can hit us up on InsideTheHashes.com. For the Aired Out Podcast, my name is Juan Guarín. That was Chris Thomas. That was Avery Collins. And that is our CEO, Jerome Jones. And I bid you all a good day.